This is Seeking Alpha's Investing Experts Podcast. I'm Rob Isbitz, a Seeking Alpha contributor under the profile Sun Garden Investment Publishing, which I founded after I sold my investment advisory practice in 2020, following 27 years in those trenches. My friend Matthew Tuttle of Tuttle Capital Management, a fellow Seeking Alpha contributor and a highly experienced trader and ETF innovator is with me again. We have both been professional investors since the 1990s. We have the bruises to prove it. We've made plenty of mistakes, but we've also learned from them and we have survived. And that has made us investing mythbusters who speak truth to hype, the hype that surrounds us all. So we hope you can learn from our experience by listening to this podcast and following us on Seeking Alpha. So, Matthew Tuttle, how are we doing today? Doing great. Love, uh, love that intro. You know, there, there are a couple things here. All right, we're going to race through a, a, a bunch of uh, kind of mini topics here. But let's start with this one. I remember growing up as a uh, young Wall Streeter, and the month of August, really not a whole lot happened. And you'd wait till the end of Labor Day and that was it. Now, maybe it was because I, I grew up in the Northeast like you did, but I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it's because school starts sooner, especially down here in the South. Uh, I mean, they're like already going back to school. I don't know, but maybe this translates to Wall Street because it seems to me like there's a lot of stuff either going on or hinting like they're about to go on. And here we are. It's only the 15th of August when we're recording this. Hey, Rob, can I let you in on a secret? <laughs> yes. People like to take vacation in August. So there, there you go. But, but, but August, is, what I'm saying is that August is not like it used to be. Stuff happens in August. And all you have to do is go back not too long ago to uh, you know, what we're going to get again next week, uh, which uh, is Jackson Hole. Um, you know, so it just, it just seems to me markets are starting to squirrel around a little bit more than they normally do until after Labor Day. It's almost like, uh, the autumn, uh, the autumn jitters are coming a little bit early. That is my impression. So, I mean, certainly there, there's stuff going on and, you know, pre-market, you're sitting here looking at things saying, all right, this is going to be interesting. But when you look at five-minute charts like I do, it's pretty much, you know, once you get past the first 30 minutes or so, it's like watching paint dry. Right. So, you know, yeah, there, there's news. I mean, you know, again, we're recording this, what, on Tuesday. Uh, you know, last night you had news out of Japan. You had news out of China. You know, that impacted our markets at the open. And now if you look at a five-minute chart of the SPY, the Qs, or the IWM, I mean, it's a flat line on an EKG at the moment. Got it. Got it. So what you're saying is uh, sort of uh, first in, last out, right? The first, first hour, last hour, everything else in between. Uh, you know, if you're a golfer, enjoy the, uh, enjoy the, the greenery, right? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yep, I, I think I think that's a good point. So here's a headline I woke up to today. Speaking of uh, what you were just talking about with Japan and China, it's almost like this is the the part of the year where where all the stuff 
that is being put on the table, all the little news items that are coming out, may not matter as much now as they might next month and the month after and the month after that, because this tends to be the freaky season for Wall Street. So here's a headline. Stock futures fall Tuesday as disappointing China data dampens sentiment. So, you know, look, there was disappointing data out of China, a surprise rate cut from the central bank. Who knows what information is real and not real coming out of there. China has obviously a, a, you know, a lot of uh, issues that are cropping up, uh, you know, some of them financial, some of them uh, uh, social. Um, and, you know, their, their industrial production missed expectations, their retail sales grew less than expected. Uh, and uh, I don't know, what, what's, your, what's your take on China? Again, we're both technicians at heart, so we're probably going to ultimately let the pricing patterns uh, and the risk reward guide us. But in turn, I mean, are these just headlines or is there really a change in terms of uh, China, relations with the U.S.? There, there's a lot of talk of, uh, especially with all the things that have been passed in this country, that, that uh, everybody's kind of going to their own corner and it's going to be less of a global commerce marketplace, which ultimately is going to matter to the stock market, even if it doesn't now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so yes, no, yes, yes, and no. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it was funny. Kramer put out a tweet this morning saying, oh, the weakness in the market has nothing to do with China. It's because Trump got his fourth indictment, which I, is... I saw that too. Yeah, I mean, which is stupid. I mean, you know, maybe after the first indictment, but after four... I mean, you know, market doesn't care. Mar market's looking at China. You know, China's always going to be important because we sell them a ton of our stuff. And, you know, and it's always going to be weird because we never know what numbers we see out of them are real. We never know what numbers we see out of them are fake. And, you know, you never really know what's going on. And, you know, it happens while we're asleep. So, you know, you wake up to China news and, and the market's going to be impacted. Also, it's, you know, when this news came out. One of the things I always want to make sure I'm cognizant of is the macro backdrop. And if you look at interest rates lately, oil prices, the dollar, gold, those are telling you something. Not 100% sure yet what they're telling you, but you've got rates that are, if they're not at the highs of the year, they're pretty close. You've got oil prices that if they're not at the highs of the year, are pretty close. You've got the dollar screaming, you've got gold going down, and you've got you know, markets sitting at or below key support levels. And, but on the other hand, you've got the Fed maybe slowing down, You've got inflation numbers looking like they're easing. Um, maybe we're going to get a rate cut at some point in our lifetime. And all the economic numbers are signaling, you know, a, a soft landing. So what's going on? And, you know, if the bond market is telling me something, I listen. And what the bond market seems to be telling me is inflation is not gone and Fed is not done. 
So, you know, this is an environment already where you wanted to be cautious. So any, you know, any quote unquote bad news is probably going to be sold. And that's what we saw today. Yeah, we uh, you just led me into a couple other things that I I think are absolute priority to me. The number of the week is 4.30%, okay? That is long-term resistance on the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. That is a very key level, and it's a key level for a number of reasons, not just because we haven't seen rates this long, uh, I should say this high, uh, in a long time, but you know, when it has breached that level the last two times, it was 2007 and it was early uh, 2000, I believe. And so that level is often associated, at least it was the last two times, with a peak in the stock market. And you can only imagine why, because it's one thing if you are an investor that can lock in, you know, four and a half, five percent rates here uh, at the lower end of the curve. It's another if you can stretch way out. Uh, you know, maybe the Fed will eventually uh, cut rates, but when they do, and if they do it next year, I, I just for the record, I am. Um, I believe all of this soft landing stuff is complete BS. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I do too, and I think interest rates are are telling you the the exact same thing. You know, certainly, you know, the economic numbers are pointing that way, but yeah, you know, I, I just I'm I'm listening to the bond market, and I don't believe the numbers at this moment. Yeah, and and that's why I say four point three zero percent is a key level. We've gotten close to there a couple of times. And look, I, I can make a case that, uh, you know, as, as you say, you know, 4.3 will get you 5.3, and 5.3 will get you 6.8. I, I wrote this up in a Seeking Alpha article a while back. I'm sure I'll, I'll write another strategy piece soon, kind of refreshing people's memory, okay? Uh, you know, there is some really, uh, I would say, interesting if you're like us and, and you can profit from rising stock market, falling stock market, rising yields, falling yields, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, we kind of take that go anywhere approach and uh, whether it's ETFs, options, etc. We'll talk about that later with our positions. But uh, like to me, this could be the game changer of the autumn and probably the winter. Uh, all you need is for long-term rates to, and I'm not talking about going to 4.31, 4.32, and then peeling back, okay? That's a fake out breakout. But you know, if you get decidedly through that 4.3 level, uh, I think some blank is gonna hit the fan and it's going to affect a lot of markets um, at the same time that, to finish the China conversation and kind of put a button on that, uh, you know, they may be exporting deflation, but what does it matter with all of the debt that we have to, we, the U.S., has to go and and start to pay uh, pay back? Those interest costs are going up, 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 up. 
Yeah, and I, I'm not as worried about that as you are, but only because I think if something like that happens, then something breaks. And I don't think they can afford to let something break. So, you know, I think if we start getting near that level and really start breaking, you know, that 4.3, I think you're going to see some sort of intervention like you saw in the UK when they realized, oh, wow, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to wipe out all of our pension funds. We need to intervene in the marketplace. And I think you'll see something like that. Now, that's not going to be a quick knee-jerk thing. So there could be you know, some painful moments before that happens. But I, I cannot imagine they allow rates to get the, that much higher. Well, you, my friend, are ascribing a lot more, a lot higher probability that uh, the powers that be, the central banks, etc., actually can control this whenever they want. I disagree with that because I saw what happened in 08 and uh, it was funny, I just wrote a, a PDR I read for several outfits. I just wrote a piece this morning uh, kind of reacting to uh, uh, Michael Burry, who is the uh, the guy that Christian Bale uh, portrayed lead character in The Big Short. Right, the, the guy who called 50 out of the last one market crashes. Yep. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Well, uh, yeah, hey, who among us, right? Uh, so... Uh, but, uh, you know, interesting that he has taken effectively an entirely, you know, net short position. Um, uh, this one got a lot more news. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about him, but, but, uh, I do want to talk about this. Okay. Because I, I think, look, I, inflation is part of this. Okay. One of the things that I, I uh, uh, pulled off of uh, Twitter, actually, from Jeffrey Kleintop, very uh, good strategist over at uh, Schwab. If you look at inflation, remember, we're in uncharted territory unless you go back to the 70s when it comes to inflation. Okay, And when I talk about bond rates lifting off above 4.3% for 10-year, uh, it's the same thing as saying that inflation is going to reaccelerate. And, and, and I believe that inflation has a history of reaccelerating because I'm looking at it right in front of me on this chart from Kleintop. So I encourage people to go and, uh, uh, and check that out. Um, you know, what happened in the 70s was uh, you, you had this, this huge run up in uh, CPI uh, to over 8%. Um, it, uh, it came down into, looks like about the 3% level, very similar now. I mean, it is tracing out almost identical. Where to go from there? Uh, nah, it went to like 14, okay? I'm not saying it's gonna go to 14. I just think that, that reinflation is a much bigger risk than most people are accounting for because I've just seen, I've seen it for 30 years. People think the worst is over, they relax, and then uh, they get uh, proverbially, proverbially hit upside the head. Yeah, and, and there I would agree with you. I mean, I'm watching oil. And oil prices are pretty close to the highs of the year. I mean, it's getting killed today. But, you know, today's a risk-off day. could come right back. And, you know, oil flows into everything. 
you know, if we start seeing oil get up near $100 a barrel, there's no way inflation doesn't spike back up. Yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, it also created another uh, political mess because and, uh, politicians start blaming each other for high oil prices when, in fact, uh, I think you and I both know it's the market. It's market forces. It's not what they do in Washington to a to a great extent, unless there's some really overt policy. And I know that they've been, you know, drained half of the strategic reserve. But they they do need some help trading for the strategic reserve. Um, yeah, I, I I I may be available if if I get a call, but uh, yeah, somebody needs to help them there. So let's let's take a look at some other. Uh, issues here uh, before we get to uh, uh, to our trades and things like that. So uh, something else I read, this was uh, uh, posted uh, by, Hol- I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Holger Zschepitz, Z-S-C-H-A-E-P-I-T-Z. And uh, it says, the scary math behind the world's safest assets. Washington has laid seeds of a crisis that Wall Street can no longer ignore. Uh, Around three quarters of the treasuries need to be rolled within five years. And so I guess the the graph they have here says, too late to refi. over 40% of all treasury debt is due to uh, mature in less than a year. And then uh, uh, another looks like 30% in one to five years. In other words, the the, the government debt that we talk about, I, I remember this used to be like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, but like, uh, like uh, pension funds, you know, you got a, b- a bunch of people retiring in 10, 20, 30 years Okay, and you match uh, liabilities to assets and all that good stuff. Well, when it comes to the government, most of the money that they owe, they owe it like soon. And um, that in itself, with treasury auctions not really being that popular lately, which is what's causing some of the rates to go up. Again, supply demand, if you're putting out rates, uh, you're putting out whatever, two-year bonds or one-year bonds or six-month T-bills, and you're the U.S. government, I mean, you know, you have to sell them to somebody, okay? And unless the Fed's going to come back in and be the buyer of last resort again, which, judging by your earlier comments, maybe you think they will and I won't, I I don't, um, you know, what do you you make of this? I mean, you can't, you, you, you can't, deny that there are a lot of ticking time bombs that seem to be running out of fuse before they blow up. And there may just be too many places to try to stop bubbles from popping. That's the thing to me. And I, and I, by the way, you used the word worry before, Matthew. I'm not worried. I'm excited because you and I both know how to make money, whatever happens. I just would like to see something happen other than the paint dry scenario that, that you described earlier? Well, yeah, I mean, and I, for whatever weird reason, like playing the short side and, and have an easier time playing the short side than I do the long side. So, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited as well. I see there are a lot of potential landmines. 
Some of them will probably go off. Um, I am a bit more of a skeptic slash conspiracy theorist, maybe, than you are. I believe for a lot of stuff, the fix is in. And, you know, they'll figure out some way around, you know, some of this stuff. Um, you know, they're not, if, if a whole, you know, this is like, a, you know, holes in a dam, they're not going to be able to plug everything. But I think if it's only one or two holes, they'll probably figure out a way to plug it. Again, it's not an overnight thing. So, you know, you're, you're probably going to see some turmoil. You know, I think you just, you, the, the easy money has been made this year. I, I think at the beginning of the year, the short commercial real estate, short regional bank trade, followed by the long anything mega cap growth trade was probably the easy money. Um, you know, hopefully there'll be some easy money trades going forward. I mean, I'm not, unfortunately, not seeing anything, which is, you know, part of the, this is about as boring as watching paint dry. But it just seems to me like, you know, maybe, you know, it's, it, you know, if, if you ever day trade, which, which I do quite a bit, there are some days where there's a potential trade at 930 and if you miss it or you don't size it right, that's the last trade you see for the rest of the day. And right now I've got that sense that that's a possibility this year. Uh, I hope that's wrong because that'll make the rest of this year very boring. But well, sounds, we'll see. Sounds to me like you should take uh, your own advice from uh, about 10 minutes ago and you should take the next few weeks off. You know, you said people go on vacation in August. Why are you home? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, my, my kids are all in their 20s and, and I like to work. So Same. Oh, well, boy, we spent a lot of time on the road this summer. I, I am. Uh, there is there is no place like home. Dorothy was right. So uh, one other thing I just want to uh, uh, you know, kind of slip in here and then we'll, we'll talk about uh, kind of what we're actually doing with our money. Apparently there was somebody on, on Closing Bell yesterday, uh, one of the parade of, of money managers, I'm sure. So here was the quote, okay? And this is talking about, oh, you know, some of the issues, market down a couple of days and uh, China issues, Japan issues, et cetera. Uh, the quote is, this is healthy. That's what they said on uh, Closing Bell. This is not the sign of a teetering market, which I think it is. This is a bit of consolidation, and it's a place where you can really start to think about adding. We don't like to try to time the market. It never works. Noting that August and September is seasonally weak. Your reaction to that? That's, yeah, I mean... No, oh, of course. That's what a buy and hold guy tells to his clients to keep them from getting mad at him when they're losing money. And, you know, it's more of the typical Wall Street uh, bull um, that, you know, pe people are fed. Oh, you know, don't worry. It'll come back. Oh, yeah, I know you're down 10 percent, Mr. Client, but this is actually a good thing. Because now we can get all those stocks cheaper, uh, you know, all, or, you know, don't worry, it'll come back. You know, just have to wait 15 years like the NASDAQ in 2000. Not a problem. Um, you know, so that's why you shouldn't be watching that stuff. 
And instead, you should be listening to podcasts like ours, maybe. This is why, if you listen to what I say at the beginning, and we mean it, we are Mythbusters. Uh, and Matthew Tuttle was just talking about a one of many very popular myths on Wall Street. And this whole thing about, oh, don't try to time the market, okay? So one of the things that used to drive me nuts back in my advisory days is when firms would come to you and say, well, we don't time the market. Okay, so how do you manage the, the money? Well, uh, once a quarter, we you know do this and that and we rebalance and all that stuff. I said, so you've decided that the, the quarter end is the best timing for this. Well, no, 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 that's not timing. Well, it blanking is. It's just a mechanical version of it. I have, to me, every decision is timing. There's nothing wrong with timing. And a lot of timing decisions are about risk management, not about trying to make the most that you can but I think because Wall Street is still an equity culture, I think it's going to be fascinating, Matthew, in next year to see, like I've been saying, the, the, um, the, the bond market is much more interesting than the stock market right now for a lot of reasons, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, on future conversations here. Uh, but you now have this equity culture, which is not not quite alert to the fact that equities could really suck for a period of years, while the bond market may actually offer uh, a relatively smoother ride uh, in addition to the ability to take what is now more gyrating tendencies among interest rates and make money that way too. Uh, but it's not the stock market. Uh, and as you said before, you tend to believe the bond market. The bond market is, uh, let's say, uh, notoriously uh, sharper than the equity market. And I think more investors in the Seeking Alpha community and elsewhere um, should start to learn more about how they can do that. And I'm not talking about buying bonds, clipping the coupons and holding. I'm talking about active bond management. Yeah, so a lot there. But I, I think the most important thing you were talking about is the whole idea of timing the market. And what Wall Street does is they don't time the market. They rebalance based on the calendar, which is stupid. Uh, you know, the calendar doesn't, you know, care whether you're buying more bonds or you're buying more stocks. It's going to do what it's going to do. And they tell you your portfolio should be based on your age, which is also stupid. The market doesn't care. You know, last year, the market didn't care that you were young and aggressive. You still lost money. And this year, the market doesn't care that you're old and have to be conservative. It went up. Um, and, you know, when they tell you, you know, hey, you can't time the market, I agree. I mean, no one can go in and say, hey, I think it's going to be up tomorrow. I mean, who knows? What you can do is put the odds in your favor. And you and I have spoken about this. I, you know, I firmly believe that the market is like cards, whether that's Texas Hold'em, Blackjack, whatever. There is a difference between holding pocket aces and holding a two and a seven unsuited. When you hold pocket aces, you know, the odds of you winning, and you're not going to win them all, but the odds of you winning in that situation are pretty high. 
When you have a 2-7 unsuited, the odds of you winning are extremely low, and that's typically a time you walk away. And you know by looking at the market, right now I would look at this market and think like, you know what, this is like a, you know, a 5-7 suited. I mean, maybe I get lucky and, you know, the flop comes out and, you know, there's a four and a six in there. But chances are, you know, this is a hand I should probably walk away from. As much as I appreciate the poker analogy, uh, you and you probably just really uh, helped a lot of people make that analogy. You totally lost me. Play more of that to me, or I'll listen to it five times. You know, after this goes, uh, and I'll or, or I'll ask my son. Yeah, I mean, b- basically, what I'm saying is, you've got a you know a, a a hand that you're likely to lose. You could get lucky and win it, and you know, because you've got a market that really could go either way. You know, we could you know, like yesterday was a big rally. Today we're retracing it all. But, you know, it could go any which way from here. And so, you know, I would say this is not an easy market by any way, shape or form. It's a market where there's a really good chance you're going to lose, but you never know. I would be cautious. And so that, that's the analogy. Understood. Uh, and all of non-card playing nation thanks you. I keep uh, something called the Roar Score. Uh, reward opportunity and risk. I mentioned it a little bit in Seeking Alpha, but the bottom line is if you take $100, and I do this, I update this once a week. If you take $100, you ask yourself how much of that $100 should be invested on offense, which typically means equities, so the equities could be hedged. And how much of it should be on defense? And defense uh, these days, you know, usually means T-bills, although there's other ways to play defense, including the inverse, uh, the short side. And uh, right now the Roar score is at 20, which means that uh, my very simple two ETF portfolio is is 20% in DIA, and 80% in BIL. That's 20% in the Dow. I could use the S&P, but I'm not because even the S&P looks more dangerous than the Dow at this moment. I go back and forth, uh, depending on conditions. Uh, and the T-bill could be a little further out, except if you go further out, you know, most of this year, most of last year, I mean, the even the, the two-year treasury, I think, two, three-year treasuries, I think they're looking at like their third, third losing year in a row coming up. So, you know, even that is taking on risk you don't need to. It's the basic concept of offense and defense. That Roar score currently at 20, and I change it every Thursday, at 20, that's reflecting the idea that, yeah, there's always a chance that there can be some good things happening and the score can always lift. But right now, 20 is kind of telling you, yeah, there's more risk than reward. What's your equivalent to that? And what are you doing? You Last week, you, uh, and I saw it was in the show notes because uh, they just posted the last one today, uh, the last pod we did this morning. And one of the headlines was uh, all in T-bills. That was you last week. Still? Still. So, you know, I'm, I'm trading around intraday based on what's going on. So earlier in the day, we were short regional banks. We were short some REITs. Um, 
Luckily, last night on some of the Discover financial news, I got short. I wish I got short a lot more Discover because uh, the CEO left and I'm already hypersensitive on anything financial. Uh, so, you know, doing some of that, um, you know, trying to go into every day with as much dry powder as possible. I did come into today with, you know, a couple of longs. We bought Alcoa and we bought um, uh, Fre- Fremont, um, you know, ended up getting stopped out of those right away, which is why I like coming into every day with as much uh, dry powder as possible. Uh, the, the only other thing I'll say about my positioning, inverse ETFs exist for bonds. TBF, which is one that I own right now, uh, and maybe will increase in size, especially if we get that breakthrough and it sticks. TBF simply takes 20 to 30 year treasuries and it shorts them. Well, that's a pretty good thing to own if rates are going up, up, up. TBX is a lot less uh, liquid, but it targets, let's say, a more familiar area of the curve, seven to 10 year treasuries. Um, and uh, so those, those two are, I think, of interest. Uh, also, if rates are gonna float higher, uh, and I was just talking about long-term rates, but short-term rates have obviously been floating higher. Uh, and uh, there are a couple uh, there. The one I own personally is TFL, TFLO, T-Flow, uh, which is treasury floaters uh, out to three years. So it's all treasury. Uh, I'm not going beyond treasury. Uh, there is another one, uh, I think also an iShare, uh, and the symbol is FLOT, so that uh, there it's uh, mostly non-treasuries. You're getting you know, double A, single A, even triple B. Uh, not, I have no interest in it, but for the folks who want a little bit more yield and don't mind the credit risk uh, the way I do, uh, that's another one to look at. So uh, thanks for listening to the Investing Experts podcast. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. At times, myself, Rob Isbitz, and my co-pilot here, Matthew Tuttle, or any of the guests we may have on, may own positions in the securities mentioned. You can follow me on Seeking Alpha under the profile name SunGarden Investment Publishing. Matthew Tuttle's Seeking Alpha profile name is Tuttle Capital Management. We also invite you to join the thousands of people who follow the Investing Experts podcast on Seeking Alpha, where you'll find full transcripts for all episodes. To take advantage fully of Seeking Alpha, become a premium subscriber. You can learn more at seekingalpha.com slash subscriptions. See you next time.